The living word of God, Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden in Christ and God. When Christ, who is in your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, a Scythian, slave or free, but Christ in all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all of these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the Prince of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom from psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. There is so much in that passage, isn't there? But I want to focus on just one theme that I'll extract from that passage and ask a question concerning that theme and uh, play it out for the rest of Paul's epistles and other parts of the New Testament. And I begin the theme this way with a question. My question is, what is your identity? In other words, where do you find your identity? How do you find yourself? 
I would suggest that there's maybe more than ever before an identity crisis in our culture. We find an identity crisis manifesting itself in all kinds of ways. People are moving to this or moving to that or attaching themselves to one thing or another in order to desperately find their identity. Sometimes it relates to lifestyle in terms of what kind of possessions you have. Sometimes it relates to relationships, who you know and who knows you. Sometimes it relates to sexuality and your sexual expression being a description of your identity. You can see it, right? Just play it out for yourselves. But for the next few seconds, I want to ask the question again, and then I want to introduce a pregnant pause. And the pregnant pause is for the purpose of you to answer the question yourself. Where do you find your identity? Is it in your work? Is it in your popularity or lack thereof? Is your identity in your athleticism, your strength, your physical stamina? Is your identity in your marriage? Is your identity in motherhood or fatherhood? What if you lost whatever it is that you first thought about when I asked you to pause and identify your identity? What if you lost it? Who would you be then? Did you notice that really none of those things were wrong? None of them. By the time I got to motherhood and fatherhood, you thought I was stepping on something that was sacred, right? But you could call any of the things that preceded it sacred as well in one way or another because all of them seem to be rightly a part of our identity. However, if you were to ask Paul that same question, I'm completely convinced that Paul's answer would be a prepositional phrase which he used more often than any other in his writings. William Barclay said uh, in a commentary, well, a whole book on Paul, he said, every author has his or her favorite phrase. I would suggest that every person has his or her favorite phrase. And we use it over and again. Sometimes we don't even recognize it until somebody points it out to us. You say that all the time, right? 
You heard that before? Heard that from my kids. <laughs> but if you were to say to Paul, this is what you say all the time, you know what it would be? In Christ. More than anything else, he uses that phrase. In Christ. What does that mean for Paul? And what does it mean for us? To find our identity in Christ. Paul begins this passage early on by saying, you need to set your mind on things above. Why? Because you truly are in Christ as a believer. So you need to set your mind on things that are above. How does the meaning of being in Christ come alive for us and for Paul? Here are a few suggestions. I think the meaning of the phrase in Christ comes alive when we recognize that our very life is in His hands. Our life, I mean really our life, our bodily life, that the very air we breathe, or can I put it this way, the very breath we breathe, that makes it more personal. The very breath we breathe is dependent upon our Lord Jesus Christ. Is dependent upon God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God. So to be in Christ has meaning when we recognize that our very life is in His hands. To put it in the words of the epistle from James, he says every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He's always constant. He's always there. Another phrase, um, another, not a phrase, another passage that emphasizes the fact that our life is literally in Christ is also in Colossians, the book from which we read just this morning. And that, that is, is this phrase, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, connecting Him inextricably from create, to creation. He's the firstborn over all creation, for by Him all things were made. You hear themes of John's Gospel here too. Nothing was made without Him, and in Him is life. John said that life is literally the light of men. But Paul says in Colossians, something extremely profound about life itself. He says that in Him, all things hold together. I mentioned it last week. This is a huge cosmological statement that we'll never be able to understand, but we must believe. Somehow in Christ, everything is held together, is knit together. And without Christ, existence is not existence. We are not us. Life is not real. 
So the meaning of in Christ becomes apparent when we realize that our very life is from Christ. That also means that everything about our lives is under the control of the Christ that we are in. Paul says in another place, Romans chapter 8, beautiful passage. A passage that I have read countless times in the hospital to those who were sick and those who were dying. These words, unbelievably comforting. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Think death. Nothing. Neither life nor death. Nor angels nor demons. nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all God's creation can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does it mean to be in Christ? To recognize we're completely in His hands. Or to put it in the words of Jesus, to recognize that we don't need to worry about life. Remember that passage in Matthew chapter 6? Stop worrying about tomorrow, says Jesus, because tomorrow's going to take care of itself. And then he goes on to help us understand why he says that. He's not just being Pollyanna. He's certainly not being fatalistic and saying tomorrow's going to happen anyway. He, he helps us understand what he means with that. He says, because remember the lilies of the field, take a look. And of course, when Jesus was preaching, it wasn't in a church. It was likely out in a field. In other words, just cast your glance to the right or to the left. Look around you. You see the lilies of the field? You see those flowers out there? You see the birds that are flittering by? Do they worry? Do they store up? Does the lilies of the field have concerns about life? No, why? Because I take care of all of them. And furthermore, if I do that, what makes you think that you need to worry? Why should you worry? Don't you think you're more important than they are? In Christ takes on meaning when we realize that our entire life is under His control. And in the midst of even hardship, as Paul said, I can do all things, Philippians 4, through Christ who gives me the strength. That doesn't mean I can get richer and faster and better. It means that in the midst of adversity, I can do all things. I can walk through it. Why? Because it is the real presence of Christ that gives me the strength. Because I'm in Christ. So the meaning comes alive when we recognize that our life is in the hands of our Lord. The meaning of in Christ comes alive when we embrace the uniqueness and the interdependence of our existence. The uniqueness and the interdependence of our existence. We are made in the image of God. 
As a matter of fact, renewed, says Paul in Colossians, our passage, into the image of our Creator day by day. We're we're made, my friends, in the image of God with all our idiosyncrasies and all our quirks. Let me put it differently. We are so stamped by the image of God that our idiosyncrasies and our quirks are also together interdependently with the body of Christ, an expression of the image of God. That's why Paul says in this passage and in Galatians, there's no male or female. There's no slave or free. What he doesn't say He doesn't say in that passage, I'll tell you what there are, but he could have said this because he says it in other ways in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll tell you what there are, Paul might have said. There are extroverts and introverts. There are doers and beers. Marthas and Marys. There are funny people and serious people. There are idealists and pragmatists. There are planners, intricate planners. Oh my goodness, they drive me crazy, but thanks be to God for them. Intricate planners. And there are people like me who are wonderful responders I am so much more at ease when I am asked to respond to something in the moment than I am to plan out all the details so that the moment is just right. You can imagine I'm married to an opposite, right? And probably so are you. I love her detail, but it drives me crazy. And her detail and my responding-like mentality is equally a reflection of the image of God. Why do I say this? Because Paul says, I want to give you a picture of the body of Christ. And then he goes on to express what a picture looks like. It looks like diversity. It says spiritual gifts of this, that, and the other. And it's not the exhaustive list that we would hope for, right? Of course it wouldn't be exhaustive. It's things like what I've just described. All of those things make up the body of Christ. And one of you is a foot. And I'm a tiny little toe. Somebody's an arm and a leg. Everybody is different. And that creates for us an understanding of what it means to be in Christ. My my independence, my uniqueness, and my interdependence. My dependence upon you. Those two things fused together help me to understand what it means to be in Christ. Here's a life-changing thought for some people. You're not only valued, you are needed. You're not only valued by the body of Christ, you are needed. 
by the body of Christ. You are not only valued by your friends and neighbors, you are needed by your friends and neighbors. You're not only valued by your larger world, you are needed by your larger world. Can I say this sacredly? You're not only valued by God, you are needed by God. No, I know God has no needs. But He does have a plan. To share the gospel with the world. And in that plan, you are a part of it. You need to play your role. We seem to understand what it means to be in Christ when we recognize our lives are in His hands. When we embrace our own uniqueness and interdependence. And we realize what it means to be in Christ when we acknowledge that we are all equal, male and female, slave and free, Jew and Greek, add to the list. But did you notice Paul does not dissolve the distinctions? I don't think culturally Paul is saying to us or to any other culture if you happen to be a particular nationality, I want you to sort of disappear and become part of this monolithic thing called human. Forget your identity. Become like everyone else. That's not what Paul's saying. He wants you to embrace your identity, the thing that makes you uniquely who you are with your culture, with your gender, with all the things that make you you. And in, in the embracing of all of those things, he wants you to understand that you are just as valued as any other person. You are equal to all of them, even though you may be different from them. Now to us, that's, um, I guess, a no-brainer, isn't it? I mean, it, it really is part of our heritage in a lot of ways in 21st century America. At least the theme is. We didn't always play it out that well in these United States, but it began that way. It was, I believe, embraced by the early fathers of this country as a reflection of this kind of idea. I mean, nobody really quoted Colossians chapter 3 in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. But the notion of human equality is implied there. Paul said at one point, here's how I want you to understand this. I don't see you, and you should not see me, and neither of us should see Christ from a human point of view. Right? There's all kinds of ways to view each other from a human point of view. And most of the time that attaches value and all kinds of other things that elevate or diminish a person. Paul said, I don't want you to see me that way. I don't see you that way. Formerly I saw Christ that way, but no longer do I see Christ that way. How do I see Christ and how do I see you? I see us as being in Christ together in perfect equality with Christ as our head, as the Lord of the universe. 
That's how I see us. Uh, So much more to say there, but that's a revolutionary idea. We understand the meaning of what it means to be in Christ when we fourth remember that we are a new creation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that one notable place, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Complimenting what he said in Colossians in the passage that we just read. You take a different approach to life. You live a different lifestyle. You eschew certain things that used to be normal and you do certain things that weren't normal before. You say, I have a new way of living. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You can't live like that anymore. This may be a little too silly and radical, but you're no longer a dog, you're a fish. You don't breathe air, you get your oxygen from the water. Your life is actually in the water. That is, in Christ. You're an entirely new creation. So you got to live that way. You know, creation implies particular design, doesn't it? It suggests that you're there for a reason. Um, Different vehicles have different designs, right? A truck has got one design. I sometimes worry that my identity is attached to a truck because I like trucks so much. I just got a truck last week. I got rid of my SUV and I got a truck. And Brenda thinks me unnaturally happy. Or even giddy. Thanks Royal South for my truck. I I love my truck, right? But my truck is a certain kind of vehicle. And we went to the grocery store the other day and it was the wrong vehicle. And my wife pointed that out to me numerous times. We're not going to the grocery store in my truck anymore. That's it. I will enjoy my truck alone. There's different kind of vehicles. There's sports vehicles, right? And they're low to the ground. and, And I love the look and I love the speed, but I can't stand going all the way down to get in that car and having to crawl back out. I'd rather step up into my truck. There's luxury vehicles. And I do like the luxury of those vehicles, but it's, it's a different design. Yeah, we could move beyond cars, vehicles, right? And we could say that people are designed for certain things, and you could see the analogy in teams. Whatever the team is, whatever the sport is, most of the time, unless it's an individual sport. If it's a team sport, you have differences, differences for a reason whether baseball or basketball or football. Have you ever seen, I have because I'm a baseball fan, have you ever seen a, a game go into the 16th inning where they used up all the pitchers in their bullpen? Have you ever seen that? It is hilarious. They will bring in somebody who has an incredible arm, who could throw out somebody at home plate from center field or some other player on the team, to pitch. And it is the goofiest, silliest looking thing you've ever seen in your life. You're thinking to yourself, this guy can throw. 
He's an amazing arm, this guy. But he can't pitch. He just can't pitch. The same thing, of course, goes for a linebacker and a quarterback. They're just different. Creation, back to my point. Creation says something about design. You were created to be a kind of person. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You might look the same. You might smell the same. But you're different. So Paul says, live out your difference. Don't act the same. Walk to a beat of a different drummer. We understand the meaning of what it means to be in Christ when we live out of love instead of obligation. That also is a theme of Paul and the other biblical authors. To be in Christ means that we're no longer under the law. To be in Christ means that we're not trying to achieve something. To be in Christ means we're not using a checklist of righteousness. To be in Christ means we are so enthralled with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are living day by day with Him and for Him out of pure love. You know, when you're first married, it's obviously, I'll grant you it's not always this way afterwards, but when you're first married, right, you don't find it onerous or even a duty to live your life in such a way that demonstrates your love for your wife. I'm just talking from the perspective of me, a husband, right? I mean, that's why you're getting married. I've never married anyone who didn't want to do that. Of course, I've counseled many who, after they made that commitment, had difficulty doing that. And I look in the mirror on any number of days and realize I'm having difficulty doing that. But that's because I'm focused on self and I'm not focused on the love I have for my wife. Marital issues are complicated. I don't want to be reductionistic. Please don't hear me that way. Okay? I'm just making a broad analogy. That when I truly love my wife, I serve her and it doesn't feel like a burden. When you truly love your children, do you give to them begrudgingly? Especially when they're younger. You go to work and say, oh, I've got to feed those stupid little mouths again. I, I don't think I ever thought that. It was love. To be in Christ means we live out of love and not obligation. To be in Christ means that everything we do flows from that center. The center of love center of life. Finally, to be in Christ means that we embrace every day as the beginning of eternity. Our lives are in Christ. Christ, which is eternal, 
is going to appear, says Paul. Did yesterday not seem like eternal? It didn't to me. Maybe tomorrow it'll be more that way. But yesterday seemed really material. But the reality, says Paul, is that every day ought to be lived in light of eternity. And honestly, my friends, it doesn't seem that way. You know it doesn't. It doesn't feel that way. But Paul says, I want to give you a promise. You're supposed to, you're supposed to live that way in faith that someday, in glory, God through Jesus Christ is going to knit all the pieces together. Someday, as you live by faith, you will understand. You will understand that all of this is not only worth it, it's just the beginning of eternal life. That is a great promise. A certain hope. And I wish for it to be yours today. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of grace. But we don't want to just be static and say, thanks for forgiveness, God. We want to enter into life in Christ. Because we know that is real life, that is true life. We long for the day when that life will be fully revealed and when all the conflict related to following you and all the the trappings of this world and our own personal sins won't hamper us from being fully in Christ. Until that day comes, Lord, give us the meaning more every day and give us the hope that someday we will be with you. We thank you for eternal life. And we thank you for eternal life now and in the age to come. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.